Welcome to Lake Mount Worship Center, connecting you to the life-changing presence of Jesus Christ. We hope that you are blessed and inspired by today's message. I don't know about you, but I love to experience new tastes. I love to try new foods that I haven't tried before. One of my favorite tricks is when I go to a restaurant, I'll love to ask a server, you know, the waiter or the waitress, like, hey, what's your favorite thing on the menu? And hopefully they've got some courage and an opinion. I hate the politically correct one. This is like, well, it depends what you're in the mood for. I was like, just tell me what's delicious. <laughs> right? Like if there's something special on the menu. So like, like, let me ask, how many here by show of hands, you've ever had a butter tart before? Anyone here ever had a butter tart? Okay. Show of hands. Have you ever had a butter tart from 13th Street Winery? because you kind of haven't until you've had one of those. It's really good. Okay, who here, show of hands, you've tried grape pie? Anyone? How many think it sounds weird? Anyone? Okay. You're wrong. It's amazing. Okay. It's a Niagara specialty, so if you haven't tried it, you got to go look for it. When we first discovered this a few years ago, uh, my friend Tor and I, we, you know, we, I think we cleared out the store. I think we bought 10 of them, put them in their, in their freezer. And um, we warmed one up and between Tor and I, we ate the whole thing and everyone else just watched. And uh, I do not regret that decision till today. I just, it was good. Because we're not going to talk about mincemeat pie because this is a house of worship. And <laughs> we're not going to bring the profane into it. But you, the bottom line is this, Okay. I know, it's August and we're getting the mincemeat jokes already. Just warning shots, warning shots for December. Okay, so whenever you're describing a taste, something delicious, no matter what words you use to describe it, you know, it's salty or it's sweet or it's chewy or it tastes like something else that maybe that person has had. Whatever words you use to describe a taste, there are no descriptions that could cause for someone to know fully what you're saying and completely appreciate it in such a way that they don't need to taste that because you've described it so well. The only, words literally fail when trying to describe a taste. The only thing that a description of a good taste can do is is to actually motivate somebody to go out and try what it is that you're describing. Similarly, if you're describing a bad taste, like mincemeat pie, for example, (laughs) right? You, You say things like, trust me, you don't want to try it. Trust me, it's not good for your health and welfare. Just trust, trust me right? You know what potpourri smells like. You don't need to eat it. So the the point is, okay, that when we're describing taste on the good side, we're encouraging people to experience. On the bad side, we're encouraging people to trust. I want you to go with me, if you would, this morning to Psalm 34. And our core verse today hovers around this concept of taste and trust. And so I want us to read through from Psalm 34, verses 1 through to verse 8, just so that we can kind of recap where we've been over the last number of weeks as we've been digging into what worship is and wanting to deepen our understanding of worship, wanting to go into the deeper waters of the presence of the Lord. We don't want to be people that just have, you know, a, a, a peripheral understanding, but we want to go deep. We want to know all that God wants to reveal to us. And so this is what David says. The man after God's own heart makes this description 
of worship in Psalm 34 as our text. Verse one, he says, I will bless the Lord at all times and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and he delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man cried out to the Lord and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Our text, verse eight, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Worship is to taste and to trust in God's goodness. It's to taste of his goodness and to trust in his goodness. To taste and experience the goodness of God. This invitation that David identifies that is available in worship is a redemption. Everybody say redemption. It's a redemption of our desire for deeper revelation and transcendent experience. What do I mean? I mean this, in the very beginning, when you go to the book of Genesis, the book of Genesis begins with a statement of faith. It just begins and says, in the beginning, God. And right there, takes faith. There's no description of God's origin. There's no backstory. Just in the beginning, God. Deal with it. God always has been. He always will be. We're starting there. So I don't subscribe to the Big Bang, but I do subscribe to that one. Just bang. In the beginning, God was there and God created and he created the heavens and the earth and he created all of that uh, fills the earth and all that fills the universe and and in the kind of the paramount of his created order he made man and woman in his image and he gave them authority and responsibility for the earth he said to the man and woman he said be fruitful meaning have lots of babies and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And so it was this mandate that God placed them in a garden, which is a cultivated space. And he said to them, I want you to subdue the earth. It means that beyond the boundaries of the garden were the wilds of an untamed earth. And so he said to humanity, I want you to fill the earth, multiply, have lots of babies, and subdue the wilds of the earth and cultivate it and bring it into a place uh, of, of order under human rule. And so God gave to Adam and Eve that authority he gave to them that assignment and they placed them in this garden and the Bible tells us that in the middle of that garden God placed a tree the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and God said to man and woman he said don't eat from that tree and so if you're a thinking person at all when you read that when you hear that you think well why would God do that why, why would God create a, a perfect cultivated space and put people in it and then put something in there that could wreck it and say, just don't touch it? Why would God do that? And not put like a barbed wire fence around it or, you know, lightning bolts or something. Just, there's a tree, just trust me. Don't. 
And the answer is this, you cannot have true relationship without freedom. And we would not truly be made in the image of God if we had no agency or self-expression. We would just be little lookalikes, but without nature that allows us to choose and decide. So we can't, listen, you cannot be rewarded for obedience if there isn't an option for disobedience. So to have a real relationship, God places that tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden and he simply says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. You know, just enjoy life, name the animals, have a great time, just don't touch this over here. Don't, not touch this, but don't eat of this fruit over here. And so God walked with man and woman. The Bible tells us this as we read the Genesis account. He walked with the man and woman every evening. And their relationship was built on God's desire for fellowship and communion with logical, moral beings who had the option to turn toward him or turn away from him. God did not want robotic beings that just of automatic uh, result just turned toward him. He wanted to give us choice so that the relationship could be authentic and real. And so Genesis 3 tells us that the man and woman did. They walked with God, but eventually they turned from him. If you want to go there with me, you can, to Genesis chapter 3. And I want, to, I want to just get this to the front of our mind as we dig into the context of what's available to us in tasting and seeing as we're digging into this concept in worship. Genesis chapter 3 verse 1 says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. Now, just say for free, God didn't say don't touch it. She added that part. And sometimes what we do is we intensify our perception of restriction so that we justify our personalized liberties at our own expense. Verse four, you will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, So I hid, and God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree from which I commanded you not to eat? Now let's pause here for a second. When God's asking questions, he's not looking for information. He knows the answers to these questions. God asks these questions 
in order to probe our hearts for what has changed on the inside. God doesn't come into the garden and go, well, where'd they go? They, they were here yesterday. God didn't lose humanity. The question, where are you, wasn't for God's benefit. It was for Adam and Eve's benefit. See, when they disobeyed God, what entered into the human race in that moment was shame and separation from God because they had chosen to act out against his word. And when they did, they suddenly felt the shame of their nakedness. Up until that moment, they were naked and unashamed. They were living in a, in a perfect, monogamous, heterosexual marriage, having babies, and here they are not feeling any shame in that according to God's design. But the instant that they sinned, what happened? They suddenly felt shame and embarrassment, and they covered themselves and made fig leaf bikinis. And then when God comes and says, where are you guys? They're hiding in the bushes like that would work. Who told you you were naked, God says. He knows the answer. Have you eaten from the tree that I told you not to? He knows the answer. But the question is beginning to probe on the inside Something changed. God has come where he always comes. He stands where he always stands, but there's distance in our relationship. Something or someone moved, and it wasn't him. And so my rebellion and, and my distrust and my moving away from him has not just been a geographical or positional move, but something has changed on the inside where I'm at distance and I'm at odds with God. And God asks the question, not to probe for information, but to probe the heart of the man and woman. Have you, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? Verse 12, and the man said, the woman you put here with me. <laughs> like God, just for the record, I was killing it before she got here. I just wanted to, I want the record to show I never ate from that tree till she got here. Shame comes in to the planet. Distance with God and now distance in relationship. Shame and blame and finger pointing. She gave me some of that fruit from that tree and I ate it. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you've done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate I want to say this, and I encourage you, maybe write this statement down because I think this could be helpful for you in your discipleship journey in walking with God. All temptation is rooted in distrust of God. And all sin is a breaking of that trust. Let me say it again. All temptation is rooted in distrust of God. And all sin is the breaking of that trust. What do I mean? I mean that God has spoken. It's, it's recorded for us in scripture. God spoke and he said, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil or you will die. It takes trust to believe that that's the truth. 
And as soon as I disbelieve that, what does the devil say? Once I'm starting to question if God's telling me the truth, the devil comes along and says, oh, you, you're not going to die. In other words, whenever we disobey, it's because we've toyed with the lie that God is holding out on us somehow. That, that we could live a better and more fulfilled life if we would shake off the boundaries and requirements that he's instituted. That's the nature of all temptation. What if living in the boundaries of God's word is actually causing for me to live a holy life, but also a really boring small life? And so what if there's more to life by doing it my way? Me and Frank Sinatra, we've got a different idea. We're going to do it my way. What, what, what if God's requirement, what if God's standard is actually restrictive in such a way that I can't really enjoy all that life has to offer me? Now, before you know, we get all mad at Adam and Eve and think, man, when I get to heaven, I'm going to give them an earful. Listen, before you, <laughs> before you give it to Adam and Eve, take a look in the mirror and say everything that you would say to them to yourself because this is the same playbook that the devil uses on all of us. His temptation is rooted in this idea that what if what God is asking me to do, what if his standard of his holiness and the standard of his word, what if it's outdated? Like, what if God didn't know the advancements that we would make? What if God didn't know the pressures that we would have in this culture versus that one? What if I'm missing out on where the real fun is by obedience to God? That's the nature of all temptation. The nature of all sin is following through on that lie with the belief that <clears throat> it's true. It's true, I'm breaking trust with God. God said not to eat of this tree. I don't trust him anymore. So I'm going to. Because I think he's holding out on me. Listen to what the devil says, verse five. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil. You'll be like God. Your eyes will be opened. You'll have a greater revelation. You'll have greater understanding and a better experience of life by breaking trust with God and by tasting what he's commanded you to avoid. And so with that little speech, he convinced Eve. And she took the fruit and she ate of it. Now, I know we just read this, but can we just look at verse six again? Because you got to picture this in your mind. She also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate it. He's, he's with her. The, Adam and Eve, okay, they literally believe if they take a bite of this fruit, they're going to drop dead instantly. And the devil is over there talking to Adam's wife, and he's just pretending he's reading the paper. He's like, what's going on over there? Well, this serpent says if we eat this, we'll actually be like God. And Adam's like, well, maybe, <clears throat> maybe have a bite, see if it kills, I mean, see if it tastes good. kind of like when the date on the milk is bad and you're like does this milk taste bad to you you're like why am I tasting this I'm 
not a milk sommelier. Okay, so. So Adam and Eve truly believe that they're going to die. Eve actually thought she would die if she touched it. See how she added? That's religion. She adds to the instruction. And so now when she touches it, she's like, hey, wait a second. I didn't die. See how the devil lies? She adds to it with religion. And then she takes a bite. And Adam's like, whoa, she didn't die. Well, you can't have all the fun. And so he takes some. And suddenly, their eyes are opened. They, they do experience a greater knowledge. They came to know things they hadn't known before, but instead of it being superior knowledge, they came to know fear and shame and death. The lie which prompted their disobedience was that they might have greater knowledge beyond what God had said, and so they needed to act on it and, and step outside of God's requirement. And again, the devil's still using this playbook today. Whenever we see God's standard expressed through his word as restrictive to what could be better or fuller, we question God's goodness, which results in ceasing to trust him and starting to trust in our own ideas. Starting to trust in some new idea. And I gotta just say this, there's nothing new under the sun. All the new ideas, you can put a new label on it. You could, you could put a, a, a new uh, title on old ideas, but it's still just old ideas. This idea of secret knowledge, deeper knowledge, the New Testament recognized it as Gnosticism. Secret knowledge. Secret understandings of God. And so the, the man and woman discovered that by distrusting God, it didn't result in improvement, but rather pain and separation. And listen to me, like them, we sometimes believe the lie that sin will kill us instantly. What do I mean? We sometimes have this mistaken notion that if something is sinful, we're gonna immediately experience the sudden effects of our disobedience and we'll quickly repent. So I'm gonna give you a spoiler alert. If sin felt bad, no one would do it. Oh. And the result of disobedience takes time to catch up with you. The boundaries, let's, let's really be honest, the boundaries of God's word can at times chafe against our sense of independence. It can sometimes chafe against the liberties of culture. And what God says is the standard is suddenly not cool anymore. And it's, it's suddenly seen as something that is, is, is whatever, hateful or mean or limited or, or narrow-minded. And so we can think, well, wait a second, I need to update. I think, I think God didn't know 2023 was going to happen. I've got to update the Bible for him. Well, I can't really do that, so I'll just skip parts. I'll just redact some of my devotions and I'll skip to the parts that I like and I'll stitch together a Franken Bible. <laughs> and so God's word can sometimes chafe against our sense of independence. The indulgence, here's another truth, the indulgence of our disobedience can feel liberating and enlightened. Can. But it takes time 
for the effects of our disobedience to set in. Adam and Eve weren't struck dead. That's what they thought in their mind. That's what they heard. God said, don't eat from that or you'll die. The devil says, you can eat from that. You're not going to die. You're going to be like God. God's holding out. Life will be better if you disobey God. They try it and they don't immediately die. And when you go to the, you ever read the genealogies in the book of Genesis? Like some of these people lived a long time, hundreds of years. Why? Because it took a long time for sin to corrupt the original intention and design of God. You and I were not made to die. We were made to live forever. We were made to live forever in relationship with God. And so the human race had this perfected DNA that took a while to corrupt. And so it took a while for sin to set in, but it wasn't too long that their one son, Cain, murdered their other son, Abel, in a worship service. And that disobedience with the fruit of that tree led to murder in their own family. It's only a few chapters later. By the time we get to Genesis chapter 6, you could go there, not right now, but Genesis 6, trust me, it says this at the beginning of Genesis chapter 6, it says that God saw that the inclination, every inclination of man's heart was toward evil. And so he put an expiry date on humans. You can read it later. He's like, okay, no one gets to live more than 120 years. And when that didn't work, then God was like, okay, I'm going to flood the planet. Except for that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And we sit here and we think to ourselves, well, that's not, that's not cool. How come we can't just do whatever we want? Well, we can do whatever we want. The problem is that the result of that is corruption and sin and pain. And because God is as holy as he is loving, eventually, if corruption is the mode of the day, it has to be put to a stop because God loves us enough to not let us just corrode and kill ourselves. He's holy. He's loving. And he's good. And all of the pain, all of the conflict, all of the war, all of the destruction that we can find in the world is traced back to the distrust that Adam and Eve participated in all for just a little taste of something good without him. And so it brings us back to our text this morning. David, the worshiper, tells us that worship will restore us into fellowship with God. He says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good and blessed is the man who trusts in him. Listen, God knows that there's a longing in every human heart for better, that there's a longing for greater goodness and deeper revelation. And he knows that this goodness can only be found in him. And so he doesn't hide it from us. He hides it for us so that we would pursue him in relationship and know not just by head knowledge, but by experience the goodness of God. He doesn't spoil us from the outside, but he invites us into relationship to the inside. And so when we come to worship, we're not participating in just a cerebral, unemotional contract. But when we worship, it's deeply spiritual and soul-stirring. It's real at the core depth of who you are. The God who created everything does not demand that we withdraw from our attempts of being near him. But instead, he invites us off the sidelines into his very presence. And he says, come on and taste and see that I'm good. 
come in and experience. The longing that we have for transcendent experience is fulfilled completely in the presence of the Lord. Listen to what David said in Psalm 63. He says, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. And with singing lips, my mouth will praise you. David describes there a hunger and a thirst that's beyond our natural appetite for food and drink. He describes a pathway for communion with God, singing lips and a heart of praise and living in a lifestyle of beholding him in worship. David says, I actually have got a physical craving to be with God. I feel it when I'm away from him. And I feel it when I'm near him. We're built to have a transcendent and experiential knowledge. We're created for relationship with the Most High God. The God who created everything cannot be contained in a sanctuary. He cannot be contained in a well-articulated ideology. He cannot be controlled and managed through a 45-minute worship service. He's God. I'm sorry we were late getting started for second service, but God showed up and he's God. So we had to bump our schedule a bit. God spoke through the prophet Isaiah and he said this in Isaiah 57. He said, I live in a high and lowly and high and holy place, but also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit. Listen, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. There's a longing in every human heart for more. For an encounter with God, for the revival that Isaiah said, that God wants to revive the spirit of the hungry and the lowly. People are looking for this transcendence and they, like Eve, search in the counterfeit realm all the time. They look for some kind of transcendent experience in highs and in mellows and they try drugs and they try alcohol and they try sex and they try power. But all of those experiences end up with a price tag at the end of them that costs more than we're able to pay. And the momentary experience of pleasure, which is very real, it's only momentary and then comes the bill. And the cost is your soul. The cost is the shame. The cost is the separation from God. So the God who made us actually put an imprint within us and said that he's placed within us the seed of eternity. And then he says, I want you, listen, I want you to taste and see that I'm good. I want to redeem your hunger for that kind of encounter. Listen, of sin and of its destructive effects, God said to Adam and Eve, and he says to you and me, he says, don't taste that. Trust me. Don't taste it. Trust me. Oh, well, shouldn't I just kind of go sow my wild oats, whatever that means? I still don't know what that one means. Shouldn't I just, you know, kind of, just kind of party a little bit? 
This is what Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived next to Jesus, got an anointing of wisdom, and yet he didn't operate within it his whole life. He operated within it for a season. And then he thought to himself, wait a second, what if I'm a square? What if I'm too straight-laced? What if I'm missing out on the good times? So the man with all this wisdom from God got like 300 concubines, 700 wives. There's no wisdom in that. (laughs) It's like the original Hugh Hefner. And he goes out, sex, drugs, rock and roll. And what happens? He comes to the end of his life. In the book of Ecclesiastes, he writes it down. He says, I wish I remembered my creator in the days that I was young. I thought I was experiencing freedom and all I was doing was killing myself slowly. And here's the problem. The devil's lie. Often we, we bite more than we can handle and we think I'm experiencing some kind of freedom. Ooh, I touched it and I didn't die. Ooh, I took a bite and I didn't die. There's a bit of shame. There's a bit of, you know, but there's a bunch of us and we're kind of doing this. And we've got our own theology. We've got our own idea. And here's the problem. Some of your theology, some of your ideology, some of your shifting beliefs, some of the things that you've just decided. I don't know if God's word lines up with how I feel. And so you've decided to adjust. Listen, it takes a long time for it to catch up before you realize, wait a second, that was killing me slowly and I'm dead on the inside because I moved away from the God who loves me thinking I was smarter than him. And it takes a while. Solomon got to the end of his life and hung over in a pathetic mess, said, I wish I remembered God when I was young. God says of the illicit experience outside of him, he says, don't taste that. Trust me. And he doesn't strike you dead for touching it or for tasting it. But slowly, it's natural effects like jumping off of a building. Gravity will do its job. It's not God punishing you. It's the result of that stupid choice. Eventually, you're met with the consequence of stepping outside of what he said. Trust me, don't taste it. And so what that means is that God's boundary, hear me, what that means is that God's boundary comes from where? His goodness. That it's good of him to say, trust me, you don't need to go here. Trust me, you don't need to taste that. Trust me, avoid this. But the same God of his goodness, he says, oh, don't just trust me. Taste and see. Don't just take me at my word. Don't just have a right belief about it. Don't just come to church and get the tingles from what everyone else is doing in the room. Taste and see for yourself. Come in. Taste and see of my goodness. Don't stay on the sidelines, but come in to my presence. Come into my courts. Let me give this proviso. Let me just, let me say this, that we don't worship so that we can have a transcendent experience. Like, we're not trying to get high on God. Like, we're, we're not worshiping because we just need a, a boost in our mood. We don't worship to try to transactionally get something out of God. I, I need to feel something, God. And the motivation matters, so hear me. I'm not, I'm not saying, let's do this so that we can have cool experiences in God. We're seven weeks into this thing. There's an order. We worship him because he's worthy. 
We give him the praise because he deserves it. And hear me, as we focus on him and give to him the glory and the honor that he deserves, what happens is we begin to taste and see. We don't remain on a sideline, but we're drawn right into his courts and we come right into his throne room. And he says in perfect holiness, you don't have to be scared. I've already paid. I've already shed my blood. You can come right into the throne room and I can put my spirit in you and I can wash you and I can move in you. And so what we experience in God as we taste and see is that we find that his presence can transform a prison into a sanctuary like what happened for Paul and Silas as they worship with their backs split open and their heads and their hands in stalks as they sang worship to God. God began to fill that prison with his presence until he shook the doors open and a great deliverance came. We find that his presence can turn a wilderness into a throne room like Moses experienced as he climbed up that mountain and sat in the presence of the Lord. And God said, my presence is going to go with you and I'm going to give you rest. Moses said, oh God, show me your glory. And God said, Moses, no one can see my face and live, but I'm going to cause for all my goodness to pass in front of you. You can taste and see my goodness, Moses. And you can experience my glory because that desire that you have for more, I put it in there. We find that God's presence can transform a battlefield into a choir loft like what Jehoshaphat experienced when there was an innumerable army gathered against the people of God. And they cried out to the Lord and said, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. God dropped the prophetic word into the mouth of a prophet who said, just worship and watch what I'll do. And as they worshiped and lifted their voices to the Lord, the enemy armies turned on themselves and when they got to that valley the battle was already over and the choirs of angels joined in as they worship God you can find the presence of God transforms every season into a place where God can move and listen to me while I'm preaching this morning there are people it's not theory to you and it's maybe easier said than done that some of you are in a place of pain, some of you are in a place of hardship and difficulty, you're in a place of disappointment, and you're wondering how you got where you are because you tried being faithful and it doesn't seem like it's working out. I want to tell you he's still worthy. And I want to tell you if you continue to worship him and you continue to keep your eyes on him, I want to promise you today that you can taste and see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, that God is still good. deepest longings of the human heart are found in him and he says taste and see that I'm good I want you to stand your feet all over this room and we're going to just take some time to respond to the word of the Lord I believe that today honestly I believe today there's a mighty deliverance again in this room the people who've been wrestling with God God is fighting for you and today's the day where a confession of faith comes out of your lips that though he slay me yet will I trust him I'm not partaking of that anymore or I never will I'm only going to move toward the tree of life I'm only moving toward him I want to taste and see that the Lord is good and I just want to say give me Jesus come on Lift your hands all over this room. The team's going to lead us in worship. Go ahead, let your own worship just begin to flow from your mouth this morning. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening to today's message. 
If you would like more information on who we are, visit our website at lakemount.ca or download our app for your mobile device. 